0: This is the Passive Real Estate Podcast, the premier podcast for passive real estate investors. Matt Jones interviews experienced passive investors who share their industry secrets and active investors who show you different ways to invest passively. Welcome back. I'm Matt Jones. And today on the Passive Real Estate Podcast, I welcome Ryan Gibson. Ryan is the co-founder, president, and chief investment officer of Spartan Investment Group. Ryan has organized over $200 million in private equity for Spartan's projects across the country. He is responsible for investor relations and capital raising for projects. Outside of Spartan, Ryan is also a highly experienced commercial airline pilot. Welcome, Ryan. It's great to have you on the show.
1: Thanks for having me, Matt.
0: Yeah. What else would you like the audience to know about yourself?
1: Well, I live in Seattle and and have two uh, beautiful kids, uh, six and a half and three and a half, and then uh, have a wife, obviously, and uh, just really enjoy my time here in the Pacific Northwest and just love everything about real
0: estate, flying, hiking, and spending time out here. So, Oh, fantastic. And how did you get started with uh, real estate investing? I'm assuming that your first deal wasn't the $200 million. Uh...
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, first deal uh, actually was I set up pilot housing around airports and in the industry, we call that crash pads. So when a pilot uh, commutes from an out of town location into an airport that their home domiciled in, um, they actually have to put themselves up the night before. And uh, I would set up kind of Airbnb before Airbnb was, uh, was a thing uh, for pilots and we call them crash pads in the industry. Of course the pilot gets, you know, compensated and paid to get hotels uh, once the trip starts, but that enabled the pilot to live from anywhere and be based kind of wherever they wanted. So, um i start I started a couple in d c and a couple in Philadelphia, and uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun, but uh, you know, very transactional. You know we had sixteen, seventeen renters per apartment. So it really took up a lot of uh, a lot of time. So um uh, but first first kind of development real estate deal was in washington, d c where we built houses and condos um, in our uh, in our first early days of Spartan.
0: Well, fantastic. And so obviously you're active on the real estate side. Are you passive as well or only active?
1: Yeah, passive as well. Um, I've probably done about maybe a dozen syndications um, outside of the Spartan world,
0: okay. investing
1: mostly in like multifamily, horizontal land deals, um, mobile home parks, and uh, just a, a litany of other things, private debt notes and um, a debt fund, and uh, just a, a bunch of other operators that I've come into contact with over the years who I learn are good in the industry and and, and craft, masters of their craft and what they do. And so Um, I like to diversify. My wife and I like to look around and kind of see what we can invest in um, outside of our holdings at Spartan. So um, love passive investing and love everything
0: it does for you. Fantastic. Are of those different asset classes that you're invested in, are there any you're particularly excited about at this point in the market cycle?
1: Private debt. (laughs) Uh, I love debt investing. Um, You know, the consistent monthly payments, that you get from private debt, the, the positioning that you get in the asset, you know, first position typically, um, and just the collateral that you get on something like that. I, I think private debt is is good. And especially in this market where the market's incredibly inefficient and it's really hard to get bank debt, right? So that operators are have, struggle to get construction loans or otherwise the banks are kind of closed for lending. A lot of banks are not lending as much as they did or or their buckets are kind of full of, of, of loans. Um, Investors, private investors in particular, love to uh, go to um, kind of the off-market lending world, you know, private lending and get lenders, uh, get get private lenders to fund their real estate projects. And it's very lucrative right now um, because of the market inefficiency.
0: Well, fantastic. Yeah. And uh, I agree. You essentially, you're first in line with the capital stack when you have the debt investment, uh, but at the same time, you don't get the equity upside when things go really well. So it's more stable, I guess, but uh, um, at the same time. So are you doing more long-term uh, fixed rate debt or kind of short-term stuff?
1: Yeah, I do a little bit of both. Um, I, I'm in a, a debt fund um, that buys uh, kind of performing poor performing notes. And also I'm in kind of some shorter term stuff, some nine, nine months notes or or, or lower or, or less time. And, um, and then sometimes I do some really short stuff uh, with a local... Uh, uh, real estate developer in Seattle that, um, you know, helps lend out money to, to homeowners that need to, uh, you know, kind of flip their houses or whatever it might be kind of hold two notes at the same time. And those lo- those notes can, might be 30 or 60 days. I love those um, because they, you know, as a, as an operator myself, I need to keep liquidity at a premium because I need to sign on loans. Um, so I like having money go out, but I like having it come, come back in, you know, sort of a short suspense. Um, and you know, the points you collect on each transaction, really start to add up over the year. Um, If you're lending out and charging a point, you know, maybe one or two points up front, um, you're getting that really good return locked in regardless of what the annual rate is. And then if you're cycling that money over and over and over and over and over again a few times in the year, you really can start gathering up a lot of uh, interest um, throughout the year and get your average uh, return up. So like those deals quite a bit.
0: And how do you think the increase in interest rates have impacted the debt investments?
1: Yeah, so... um, well, I mean I guess if you have a, a locked in rate that's uh that's lower that you you know had taken maybe a year or two ago you're probably saying hey I would like to get out of this th- this rate cuz it's low. Um but you know with uh with rising interest rates, you know, it does open up a lot of optionality with you know low yield savings, you know, are now now are yielding, you know, maybe 4 or 5% in some cases or CDs um, that are very stable. Um but now interest rates are going up. You know, people are paying more for debt. Um, I know you know we have a we have a debt fund at Spartan, and we raise the interest rate on that to nine percent. And because the interest rates are going up, it, it was seven percent for the longest time, but now it's nine because of the the rising interest rate environment. And we got to stay competitive. So,
0: yeah, if you were only charging seven, I'd say, oh, that's a deal. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, uh... <laughs> exactly. So. And uh, so when you're looking at investments uh, in, in properties, you know, I assume that you're not taking the word of the investors for, you know, face value, like, yes, it's a great deal, you know, give us all the money. Uh, so I'm curious about your due diligence when you're examining potential investments. Uh, what does that look like?
1: Yeah, so I actually wrote an ebook on this. I'm happy to share that at the end. Um, you know, the the thing that I always look for is a referral that you didn't get from the sponsor. So try to find somebody who's done a deal with the sponsor that can attest to them in in an environment that's not, you know, calling your best friend to give an investment or give a referral, right? So um, that's tricky, right? If you're not super connected, but, um, you know, there's a lot of forums now, a lot of groups you can join that have uh, investors who are congregating other passive investors, and you can kind of put the feelers out there. Hey, is anybody invested with XYZ company? And what has your experience been like? And um, that's always kind of a good way to, to get an, a testament from somebody else. Um, you know, getting an, into an interview with a sponsor, obviously, you usually have an intake call and you ask questions about, you know, can you give me referrals or tell me about a deal gone bad? Um, I like to ask and, you know, I like to ask sponsors, you know, tell me about your worst deal. And, you know, they they maybe like lament for a little while on on that worst deal. And then I say, hey, would you mind giving me a, a, a referral that was in that specific deal? And and then that gives you kind of a flavor of what I can get out of a referral that has been in a bad deal with that sponsor and kind of match up the stories to see if, you know, that the story of, of the bad deal was reflective in the investor's feelings of what went down as well. And I like to ask that referral good questions like, how are the communications? You know, this deal didn't go as planned. How did the sponsor communicate during this bad deal gone bad, right? And, um, you know, do you think it could be handled better? Do you think... um, you know, the, the sponsor was capable of, of getting the most out of that potential bad situation as they did. Um, and just kind of really kind of get into the the specifics on that deal. Um, I also like to ask for referrals, you know, can you give me somebody who's invested in 90% or more of all your offerings? Because um, that person is a champion of that of that sponsor, right? And I want to hear the good stuff too. I want to hear why that person has decided to reinvest. And then lastly, you know, if they have it, you know, give me an investor who's only invested one time. Um and, and, you know, kind of pick into that. So that way you get a spectrum. It's not just like, Hey, can I get some, can I get some testimonials? And it's like, yeah, here's, here's three people that are going to just say all really good things about me. Right. Um, and to the extent I can, I like to say, Hey, is there anybody in Seattle? Cause I, I live in Seattle. Is there anybody in Seattle that you could, you know, maybe he's invested that I can talk to, you know, that's local. Right. And that way there's a bit of more of a community connection with that person. And maybe you might know who they are, um, etc. So that referrals are big. Um, But honestly, you know, outside of referrals, you know, if you think about it, like if you think about calling a plumber, right, to come work on your house, you know, you can call the guy with no phone number, no, you know, no, no branded van and no social media presence. And if something bad happens, what happens? Nothing. Because, you know, you're not going to go after that guy. You don't don't even know who he is. You can't leave a bad review. You can't, you know, leave a complaint. And the guy doesn't have any social media, so he doesn't really care. Right. But if you if you hire a company that's got 10 or more employees, Who's got a good brand, good social media presence, and has kind of something to lose? That plumber might be a little bit more expensive, but guess what? You're probably going to get a good service, right? They're going to come to your house. They're going to be respectful. They're going to have a uniform. They're going to take their shoes off of the door, all that stuff, right? And you're going to get good service. And you don't, chances are, you know, they're going to have something to lose from it. I feel the same way about sponsors. You know, I want to see a good website. I want to see reviews. I want to see employees. I want to see depth in the bench. I don't want to just be working with a one-man band who doesn't have any support, like below support. And it's not that that it's not that that deal would be bad, right? But I kind of want to see that established passive uh, investment opportunity, a, a, a full-blown company that's been around for a while. And so if I if I see that, that's kind of a criteria, right? Because not that I'm going to go leave a bad review, but I know that that person has something to lose with an investment gone bad. And I'll tell you, the worst deals I've done. I've been with people that are just kind of one man bands. to be honest. Um, I want to kind of know who's on the team. And and that's a big vetting criteria. And the last thing is I want to know the person. Um, now, every passive investor might not have this uh, privilege, but I want to meet the person face to face, whether it be on Zoom or, or in person at a conference. I kind of want to get to know the person first. And if I ever feel rushed, I'm out. I never... <laughs> Um, you know, syndication, it's kind of like, uh, it's, there's FOMO, right? Oh, you know, invest now it's going to fill up fast and okay. I'll be on the next one. You know, if there's a next one, there's always another deal. So whenever I feel rushed, I always, some of my worst decisions have have come when I feel like I have to act really, really fast to get something done. And there's always another deal. There's always, this is not a once in a lifetime opportunity ever. (laughs) There's always another deal behind it. Right. So, um, you know, those are kind of my criteria.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I would even add that uh, if you're passing on a deal because you don't want to be rushed into it, still pay attention to how that deal is going along the way, because you can uh, still see how, like what, what uh, can happen in the future with another deal with that sponsor. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you know that, oh, go ahead, sorry. Oh, no, no, you go ahead.
1: No. And I was going to say too, you know, communication is a big one, you know, these are illiquid. These are illiquid investments, right? So, so it's not like you can have the benefit of going and getting angry at how it's doing and just cash it out, right? You don't really have that. So, communication is key. And so, I want to see a few examples of your communication. Um, you know, how do you communicate? What do you say? Um, you know, tell me about a time a deal went bad and how did you communicate? And then, can I see some examples of that? Um, you know, in brevity. Brevity is is key, right? I don't. I don't need to know. You know, what color you painted the picket fence and you know, that you went to the store and picked up some nails. I don't even, I don't need to know all that. Just kind of like how you communicate, just give me the bottom line, what's happening, what, you know, and don't create more questions than you answer in your communication, you know, so style of communication and kind of what's communicated is important. Um, you know, I don't need to know every little detail that's going on. I just kind of want to be able to read a paragraph and go, okay, cool. You know, I'm updated. You know, and and it's that's an art, I think, really in this industry is is how to kind of be precise in what, what you deliver. And then, of course, if you want to attach some reports or something, if I want to really go digging into occupancy data and things like that, that's kind of nice to have.
0: Yep, absolutely. So once you find a sponsor that you like, that has good references and good experience, and they'll start sending you deals, and uh, tell me about your due diligence process for looking at individual deals to tell whether or not you want to deploy your capital into them.
1: So- I'm going to be a little bit uh, probably go against the grain here a little bit, but I don't really look at the deal. Wow. And here's why. You can't do property due diligence as a passive investor. You just can't. And, and, I, and, and, I, and here's what I mean by that. You're not going to go sit and read the title report, the property inspection report. You're not going to go on a property visit. You're not going to be able to stress test underwriting with a, with your own feasibility study. You're not going to do review the geotechnical or phase one study or the hundreds of things that go into doing due diligence on a deal, right? I do my due diligence on a sponsor, and then when I have cash to deploy, I invest with that sponsor. Um, and that's that's to me is more important than looking at the specific opportunity that they have and trying to decipher if it's a good one or not. Um, I'm not a very good stock picker, and I'm not a very good deal picker when it comes to being a passive investor and evaluating. What I'm looking at from an offering memorandum, where let's be honest, you're just going to put what you want me to see in front of me, right? You're here's the highlights, right? You know, here's here's all the good things about this property. And, you know, here's the reason why you should invest. I, I like to do my due diligence on the operator, right? Get my references. How do you vet deals? What does your team look like? You know, tell me about how you've handled some bad deals. I'm looking for a capable company, a capable person to handle my investment. And then when I've got cash to deploy, I, I deploy it onto a deal. But it's just I think it's a fool's errand. You should do your due diligence on the deal. Don't get me wrong; I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. But I think trying to get into deal picking, I think is a, I think it's a not a waste of time, but it could be not effective use of uh, of, of picking the best deal from that particular place.
0: I hear you there. I'm also a, bad at picking out individual stocks because it's not my expertise and I don't have the time to focus on determining like what's what. But uh, with real estate, you know, I, I know that, and I'm going to invest with other people who know what they're doing, that have the expertise, that have the time, and and have a good group of people working together to make a particular deal successful or not.
1: Exactly, and I and I and I don't like to go really wide and invest with like 15 different sponsors. I kind of like to go deep with the people that I meet. Right, and like I really want to establish a relationship and then kind of learn about their company and then start investing with them and make, make additional investments. Um, if, you know, obviously if it goes well, or it, I'm getting good communications, et cetera. So. Sure.
0: So you mentioned with Spartan having the, uh, debt uh, fund that uh, people can potentially invest with. What can they expect if they were to uh, put in like, let's say a hundred thousand dollars with that?
1: Oh, they'd make $9,000 a year and that would be distributed on a monthly basis. So if you put in, um, $100,000, uh, a 9% um, uh, payment uh, per month is going to be uh, 750 bucks. so you get $750 uh, in uh, placed in your account on the first of every month. Um, nothing's ever guaranteed, not even debt, but that debt is uh, comes with a promissory note and it's a fixed rate. So you get that same 9% per annum return every single month on the first. Um, the lockup period on the debt fund is two years. That, that's just a fancy way of saying your money's tied up for two years. And then after two years, you have a liquidity option, which is just a fancy way of saying uh, you can call that money back. You can say, hey, I want my money back. And, um, and then we offer a redemption. That means that you can actually get your money back after two years. If you don't call your money back, you just kind of forget about it. It'll go for five. And at five years, we cash you out, send your money back. Because at some point the fund has to end. It's a closed-ended uh, debt fund. Um, that money is used to go buy self-storage properties that we control and operate, and that money is uh, put into a, a a lien against the properties that we're investing in. So we'll go buy a property, let's say instead of having a bank come and invest on that and give us a loan, we'll use the debt fund to buy it, and then maybe later on we'll refinance it out with new money. Um, so there, that debt fund is getting a, a first position or some kind of collateral against the property. So it's secured by real property, which is great.
0: Fantastic. So uh, after that two years, is it uh, that the only opportunity to cash out, uh, you know, you know, for somebody's choice, uh, or can they do it any time between that two years and five years?
1: Yeah, they can do it any time. We, we offer kind of like open enrollment two times a year. So in February and August, uh, we have that that withdrawal option. So uh, we don't want to turn ourselves into <laughs> administratively burden. So we do two times of the year, uh, first come first serve, you can you can say, hey, you know, I want to cash out and move my money somewhere else. And then uh, there's an enrollment, open enrollment in February and August when you can actually redeem the cash. Um, alternatively, if you want a 90-day redemption or a 90-day lockup, you can do an eight percent note um in the same fund. Um, so it just pays
0: a little bit less interest. Okay. And what other investment options does Spartan offer?
1: Yeah. So we do self-storage deals. So if you want to participate in the ownership of, you know, get in the limited partner. Partnership interests into a syndication. You can invest in individual uh, deals with us. Sometimes we take down deals that don't, don't quite fit inside of our funds. So you can, uh, we take non accredited as well, accredited and non accredited investors or sophisticated investors. And uh, you can invest in our funds, which uh, focus on uh, value add properties. Um, and they might buy as many as 10 to 12 self storage properties across the country. And we don't, we don't, we do only storage. And so, in those funds, you might get some cash flow on a monthly basis, and then you participate in the in the sale profit uh, when the property sells or refinances as well.
0: And when you're looking at potential self storage to invest in, what are your criteria? Like, what's your buy box?
1: Yeah, great question. Uh, we look for we're primarily in secondary and tertiary markets, um, right around major metropolitan areas. So we'll we buy properties that has access to large population centers. So. And when we say secondary, tertiary, we might buy in a city outside of Seattle, maybe Puyallup or Maple Valley, et cetera, where we're not in the downtown area, but we're right on the fringe, right? We're right in those bedroom communities around uh, the major metros. Um, so that's location. We look for traffic count of 25,000 cars that drive by a day. We want high visibility from the main road. We want income and job growth in that storage facility. We primarily focus on the Sun Belt Pacific Northwest. Texas, where we're having high growth um, environments, where people are moving their jobs are relocating you're getting good income and in good job growth. And then we want to look for barriers to entry and limited competition. So we want to find deals that, you know, there might be no more storage allowed to be built, there might be a moratorium on that, or the competition that currently exists in the market is extremely lackluster. And we can take that property, raise the rents to market, or we can use our construction company and add on additional units to the property. Uh, But these are primarily mom and pop operators that just haven't run the property as well as we have. And as a top 40 operator in the United States, we come in with our team and our national brand and run these properties uh, much more efficiently and effectively than, than a mom and pop can.
0: So. And then what's your exit plan with them?
1: Yeah. I love the exit strategy, Uh, multiple exit strategy, um, you know, we're primarily, our exits have been to big institutional groups are trying to buy up our entire portfolio. So we've sold the last four properties, three properties to an institutional buyer, um, one of the larger ones, top 20 in the United States. Uh, so big groups like Blackstone, Simply Extra Space, all these, com- these big companies are, are acquiring lots of property. Um, that's one exit strategy. We're kind of like a medium-sized fish that goes and aggregates all these little tiny mom and pop stores, and then we get bought out by the bigger ones. Likewise, we've sold properties to 1031 exchange buyers, one-off transactions, and we've sold properties to just kind of local real estate syndicators as well, or real, local real estate investment shops. Um, so kind of all over the map. And um, we've also done refinances where we, we return all the investors cash um, after they invest and the property pops in value. And so they get all their money back and they continue to benefit from the property. So multiple ways to to really exit in storage because of the interest that's in the market of people wanting to buy
0: facilities. Awesome. So how can a passive investor determine whether or not Spartan is a, a good match for what they're looking for?
1: Yeah. I, you know, I schedule a call with us, you know, and and get to know us. You know, see if our values align with yours and see if uh what you're looking for is is a good fit. And I always say, you know, there's three things in every deal market. Uh, location and asset quality, and then if you if you trust the operator to to be, do a good job and they have a good track record in the in the space, um, and uh, you know those are three things that I'm always looking for in passive investing. You know, what's the market like? Is it a rising tides market where there's lots of population growth and in, in good demographics? What's the asset quality? Where is it located? Those are kind of the three things, and then do I say, hey, does this operator have experience and have good um, stature in the space? Um, you know, or it's just their first rodeo, right? And th- those are I'm a little bit more careful of uh, to invest and probably just ask a lot more questions and just make sure that the underlying deal is 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 solid. So
0: very good. And then what is a problem that you've encountered with real estate investment and how is it handled?
1: A problem, lots of problems. <laughs> uh, we own uh, sixty five stores. there's there's a problem every day. <laughs> um, and uh, you know I think that's really important to acknowledge is that not everything's gonna go go well. And it's how well you can handle it but you know i would say we've had tornadoes take out properties Uh, we had an f1 tornado come through and wipe out completely wipe out one of our uh, we used to run rv parks Uh, that was kind of our focus for a little while and uh, wiped out every single spot you know just completely shut the park down wow Um, and that was about that was about two weeks after covid hit and a lot of residents had left Um, so that was an interesting time Um, that's been a big problem uh, we've we've had issues with um, uh, break-ins uh, at the properties. We found dead body. We found a dead body in one of our units once. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, <laughs> I could go on and on and on. I could sit here and and you know turn this into a real estate therapy session here. Um, but we've had all kinds of issues. And, and, the, and the the underwhel- you know the overwhelming uh, point that I want to make with that is um, you just got to have you got to make sure that you've got a team, a full army of people behind you to to run the deal or whoever you're investing with because things will go wrong and it's how you handle it. It's how, you know, judge me not how I get punched or knocked down, but how I get up. Right. And that's, and that's really when I'm a passive investor, that's what I care about. I know things are going to go badly. And I always say, you know, I always ask, Oh, well, you know, what, what problems have you had? Oh no, nothing. Everything's going great. You know, I've never had a deal go anywhere, but up it's like, you're either not experienced enough or you're lying. <laughs> so, <laughs> so We all know that we have problems. We have problems with financing. We have problems with operations and so it's just part of the game it's investing and if you're an investor thinking about making a decision you've got to be well versed and you know that things don't always go perfectly right and and I, and I think you have to have that mindset going into these investments um
0: so absolutely i think it was anthony robbins that said the quality of your life uh, is directly depends on how well you handle problems that are inevitable to happen in life
1: exactly i love that i love that yeah
0: okay are you ready for a speed round let's do it what's your favorite part about passive real estate investing um let's see favorite part um
1: i would just say the cash flow i i love i love the cash flow and i love the um that 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 money that shows up every month you know mailbox money is the best thing about it
0: indeed what do you know now about passive real estate investing that you wish you knew when you first got started
1: oh man uh, don't invest off a of facebook ad <laughs> 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 Oh, I've got scar tissue big time. Um, okay. Listen to your wife. Um, your wife knows way more about investing than you do, even though you do it every day. Um, yeah, I'd probably go with those two things. <laughs> probably probably listen to the wife for number one and number two, just, you know, that's cool. Facebook ad, but do your due diligence. Don't yeah. do what I did. Um, <laughs> that, that was a long, a long time ago, but you know, right when I was getting started, okay. I just, yeah, just jumped into a deal too quick.
0: Okay. Very good. Uh, what's a book that you can recommend to other investors?
1: Um, yeah, you know, is there a particular topic or is this kind of just open-ended question? Open-ended. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the books that I'm reading right now called is called Crucial Conversations. And, uh, that's a, that's a good book. I mean, just as a leader in the company, um, you know, have the ability to have crucial conversations and to address things as they come up is, I think is just critical. And, uh, as a passive investor, I think, I think what we need to do is we need to realize that you can't, as a passive investor, you have no control over the deal. But holding your sponsors accountable is—you're actually helping them, you're actually pushing them, and you're making them get better. So, my, you know, I, much as I like to complain when investors have a million questions about how their deal's going or what's going on or they want to talk about it, it it holds you accountable, and I get a sense of accountability. And I think crucial conversations are are important to have with your uh, investors. And with your sponsors and, and really dig into the details and ask good questions. I think that's a, that's a good
0: book that, that I've really taken to heart.
1: Excellent. And then it's how can I... I read too. So. Oh,
0: <laughs> excellent. Yeah. Uh, how can our listeners get in contact with you if they want to learn more about what you have going on or get a copy of your ebook on due diligence? Yeah, sure. So my email is uh,
1: Ryan at Spartan investors.com or you can go to our website, Spartan investors.com and, or you can catch me on LinkedIn.
0: Okay, Great. Is there anything else you want to mention that we haven't covered yet? No, this has been great. Excellent. Well, Ryan, it's been great having you on the show and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Subscribe to this podcast to stay updated on new episodes. Leave a review to let us know that you enjoy the content. There are tons of ways to invest in real estate that you can explore by reading Matt Jones's book called Book About Real Estate. It summarizes many top real estate books all in one. Find it on Amazon, Audible, iTunes, Google Play, or barnesandnoble.com. If you want to learn more about passive real estate investing, go to hawkwingcapital.com.